الجزيرة بودكاست Inflation in the UK is at its highest level in more than 40 years. Millions of people are suffering in the midst of a cost of living crisis. The government has announced tax increases and spending cuts to calm the economy. But will it be enough? I'm Hashim Barra, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. Now let's bring in our guests who will be joining us from London today. We have Patrick Diamond, Professor in Public Policy at Queen Mary University of London. Alfie Sterling is the Director of Research at the New Economics Foundation. And Max Lawson is the Head of Inequality Policy at Oxfam International. Welcome to the programme. Patrick, is this an attempt by Jeremy Hunt to fix an economy that has been grappling with inflation, potential for recession, or more of a political attempt by the Tories to build a credibility that has been battered by blunders? I think it's a very political uh, economic statement which has behind it two fundamental intentions. One, you've already referred to, which is attempting to restore the credibility of the government after the disastrous mini-budget in September, which rocked financial markets. But then the second political aspect to this statement is trying to create a platform for a conservative election victory in 2024 when we expect the next election to happen. And this statement today was, I think, an effort to try to map out the political choices and debates um, that will shape that election campaign. Alfie, if you look at the uh, other statement by uh, Jeremy Hunt, so he's talking about the need to hike taxes and cut public spending as somehow an ideal remedy, coupled with the decision by the Bank of England to increase the uh, uh, interest rates or something which has been unprecedented over the last 33 years. Do you see this as a plan that could work, that could fix the economy? No, I think it's highly um, problematic. I mean, you know, the UK is facing a far more severe economic downturn than other countries, other rich um, economies. I mean, we've just heard today uh, a record collapse in disposable uh, income per person in real terms of 7% over two years. That is, as I say, the deepest on record um, here in the UK. And it is far deeper uh, than in other uh, comparable economies, as I said. So I have to ask the question, then, where does this come from? And it's come from uh, our own uh, policies, including the ones you just mentioned. So the Bank of England um, increasing interest rates uh, faster, harder than other countries, uh, quite likely uh, overdoing it and pushing us into a deeper recession than could otherwise have been the case. And today, getting an autumn statement that has a net uh, contractionary start. And what I mean by that is taking money out of the economy, even as we're going into recession, and even as we're then going to have a slow recovery um, out of that. this The policies today are spending cuts, tax rises, mm-hmm. uh, that will harm that economic recovery. Max, when you look at the statement, it offers some metrics, uh, some decisions to be made. But then when it comes to the very core question of where does they leave the most vulnerable, those who are on low income, the, the government does not really seem to be offering some very clear answers. Yeah, I think it's hard to exaggerate the scale of of suffering uh, out there in the country for the poorest people, but a large proportion of the population. I think, you know, in in some ways, politically, it's a lot easier for the Tories to ignore the poorest people in the country. It's very hard to ignore the sheer numbers of people being hit by this 
real terms cut in their, their spending power, huge hikes in their, their mortgage payments. We have a situation where one in seven people, according to the TUC, are skipping meals because they can't get enough food. And then we're still one of the richest countries in the world. So the scale of suffering, not just for the poorest of the poor, although that is where people are hardest here, but a, a across the country is a serious political problem for this government and one that's going to cause enormous uh, suffering and hardship for, for families across the country. Patrick, how did the UK get to this particular point? Should we blame the former Prime Minister Liz Truss and her uh, Chancellor of the Exchequer, quasi quarting? Well, it's a legacy, I think, of a, a series of decisions which have been taken over a number of years. Obviously, separate, separating out the causal impact of these different decisions is, um, is in itself challenging. But obviously, we've had Britain's decision to leave the European Union. That followed a period of very significant austerity in the early 2010s, which itself inflicted significant damage both on public infrastructure and also on the welfare state. So when, we, when the UK went into the crisis generated by COVID-19 and then obviously the subsequent geopolitical crisis caused not least by the war in Ukraine, it was already in a, an economically and socially vulnerable position. And so I think the measures that we're seeing today are just a reflection of that. The government's having to take these very difficult economic decisions because the economic fundamentals in the UK are so weak and they're weak because of, I think, decisions going back over the last decade. Alfie, it was, it was quite obvious, I mean, when, when, when Liz Truss and Quasi Quarting decided to move ahead with the plan, which is basically based on the very notion of supply-side economics, where you cut, you decide for tax cuts without having the, uh, without going to cut public uh, spending. And this has increased borrowing across the spectrum, created a panic, and we know what happened right after that. Now, we have Jeremy Hunter is trying to reverse all those decisions, but it, it, it does not really give you strong guarantees that in like six months from now, we're going to see an economy which is back on track. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I wouldn't uh, over-exaggerate the impact of the Trust um, Kuartang mini-budget, and that's for two reasons. One is that um, the main impact of that budget in terms of affecting the UK going forward was an increased cost of government borrowing. Um, but actually that has now been uh, essentially fully reversed since the budget uh, came out in September. Those markets have now eradicated, if you like, that, that uh, incompetency premium that they were giving to the UK. That's gone. Um, and secondly, the, the budget didn't show us the sort of hard limits to borrowing per se. You know, the, the wrong lessons in the budget is to say markets go into panic if a country like the UK borrows. The lesson is, um, if a country borrows but doesn't support the economy with that borrowing, then markets take a very dim view. So it's quite important to learn that lesson. And therefore, when you're looking at this budget, um, the fact that we're not supporting the economy despite a cost of living crisis, despite a recession, um, shows that we're not learning that right lesson. Uh, and it's certainly not uh, you know, mandated by, by investors. Mm -hmm. Alfie, when you look at the graphs, all the charts presented by different countries, uh, particularly in, uh, in Europe, most of them having exactly the same set of problems, rising gas, electricity prices, food shortages, high transport prices, coupled with the ramifications from the Russian invasion of Ukraine, but still they managed to bring their own, uh, uh, to bring the economy to the levels which were before COVID-19, except for the UK, which is lagging far behind. Why? Yeah, that's right. I mean, a lot of it is down to the fundamentals that um, your previous guest was referring to. So the UK went into the pandemic 
uh, you know, hardly been worse prepared. Um, you know, we had a, a health system that was near breaking point. We had record uh, period of low, uh, low average earnings, weak productivity. We went into it incredibly weak, and that has affected the way we've then recovered. Um, we also mismanaged uh, the pandemic, I think, compared to other countries um, as well. But one thing I would say as well, mm -hmm. which goes back to this point I was making around the public finances, is that the EU, um, certainly the Eurozone countries, have suspended their fiscal rules. So they are not about to cut tax, uh, cut spending or raise taxes going into this difficult uh, period. They've suspended their target, whereas the UK is now uh, going down a, a new route of austerity from an entirely different direction. And I think that will become increasingly important in the coming years. Max, if you look at all the projections, they basically say that we're likely to see recession moving all the way towards the, 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 the first half of 2023. What does it mean for the families who are suffering as we speak? Oh, it means terrible hardship. It means choosing between heating and eating. I mean, I think of the, 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 some of the parents at my kids' school here, here in one of the poorest areas of London, you know, really struggling to, to make ends meet. And these are not people who are on benefits. These are people who are both working, you know, both holding down jobs, but struggling to, to pay their bills. And I think it's really important to get the message across that there is plenty of money in this country and it's good to see the chancellor increase taxes at the top a small amount but there's so much more he could do and should be done to ensure the richest people in our country pay more tax for instance the the rate of tax on capital gains is still 20 percent instead of the, and the rate on taxes from work is much much higher you know the highest income tax rate being 45 percent so you make you pay less tax on the money you earn from your bank account and interest rates and your savings than you do on the money from hard work. There are really simple steps he could take to raise a lot more money from the very rich people in our country and to pay to protect the poorest so we don't have to go down this fool's errand of austerity, which will only hurt our economy and hurt ordinary people even more. Let's tax the rich. Let's not hurt the poor. Mm -hmm. Patrick, was, was Brexit responsible in, in, in a way or another for this situation because you look at neighboring economies they manage somehow to navigate through this process by doing business with a more of an expanded market and they manage to mitigate the impact when you look at the uk it seems to be a different scenario yeah i wouldn't over exaggerate or oversimplify um, the effects that are going on here and i think to say that it's simply the consequence of brexit would be um, a distortion there are obviously many different factors at work here which explain the the prevailing economic situation that the uk is in i, I think that the the truth is the the underlying fundamentals of the british economy are weak and have been weak for some time due to low levels of public and private investment and due to poor economic decision making and those have been exacerbated by a series of shocks and crises of which um, COVID is one, the geopolitical crisis around Ukraine is another. And obviously, choosing to leave the European market in the last few years has also inflicted further shocks on particular parts of the economy. Um, one of the really striking features of Brexit is that, in some respects, London and the South East has been relatively well insulated from the economic shock. But other parts of the UK economy, the north of England and so on, Scotland and parts of Wales, are doing really very badly indeed. So there's also been a kind of asymmetric effect that Brexit has created. So when you take all these factors together, it just underlines really the weak economic position that Britain now finds itself in. Alfie, does the economy have all the fundamentals it takes to not only plug the 59 billion plus hole in the 
country's public finances, but also rebuild the economy? Well, I mean, the first thing is that there isn't a, a 54 billion uh, hole. It's just a gap between uh, the government's own political targets um, and, the, and the current forecasts. Um, and this is one of the reasons why this budget is so political, because uh, the government is trying to make it about public finance sustainability, even though that is a function of political choice, um, to distract from all the underlying things that um, you know, your previous guest was talking about in the economy, but ultimately what it means for people. Uh, that's the real crisis here. It's the crisis of living standards. That's 7% squeeze in real incomes over the next two years. And that is what the government has failed to address. Max, we're talking about austerity measures, which are going to continue for quite some time. It means that some people will have to pay £4,000 a year to, uh, to try to tackle some of the uh, rising bills that they have to deal with. Could the middle class be mostly targeted as far as those austerity measures are concerned, or do you see it more expanding towards all the sections of the society? I, I think where it becomes a real political problem uh, for the Tories is, is with rising interest rates and the really significant increases in the cost of mortgages for people who are really overstretched, first-time buyers who are spending huge proportion of their income already on, on servicing their mortgages or paying very high rents, particularly here in London and the southeast where I am. I mean, it's not the same as not being able to choose between eating and heating. And the huge suffering is really coming in the bottom half of the population, particularly for, for women, for, particularly for people of colour. But I think as a political problem, it, when it starts to look at the, the hit the living standards of the vast majority of the population and people can make a connection between that and the clear economic mismanagement of the current government and, and previous iterations of, of the current government, then I think that is a really, really big issue because way more people mm -hmm. than the poorest are going to feel the squeeze and it's going to make a big, big difference politically. Patrick, the Shadow Chancellor, Rachel Reeves, said the country cannot afford, the country is sick of being ripped off by the Tories again and again. And she said that she doesn't see a way out from an economy which is not based on uh, growth. Could this be the moment to build momentum for the Labour Party and see how it could benefit from this situation, politically speaking? Well, certainly in, in the last few months, the, the loss of economic trust and credibility in the Conservative government under Elizabeth Truss, the previous Prime Minister, and I think now under Rishi Sunak, um, has been obviously very striking, and that does... Um, that's bound to strengthen the position of the opposition Labour Party because people can see that the current government's policies are not very successful. There's a real loss of confidence both among the public at large, but also among business and even among the financial markets, which have traditionally been strong supporters of Conservative governments. So certainly um, Labour's position has been strengthened, but of course it still faces a challenge itself, which is to say what it would do. And I think the intention of the statement today by Jeremy Hunt was to try to lay the ground over the next couple of years for a challenge to Labour, which is to say, what would you do? Would you be willing to borrow more? Would you tax more? If you did tax more, who would you tax? Um, would you be prepared to go along with some of the cuts in public spending that we're prepared to make? So Labour's position is, of course, stronger than it's been for some time, but it has to get its own act together um, and it needs to be able to... Um, have a clear argument and respond to the question that the government will pose, which is what would Labour do if it was in government? Alfie, can the UK get out of this mess and at what price? Yeah, and I think the key thing, of course, is 
is that the UK not as a sort of homogenous entity, but the people living there and the distributional consequences and the consequence of the inequality. But I think actually you can come through this period in a way that does protect the living standards of those that most uh, need protecting, um, the poorest in society. Um, and you basically need to do three things. You need to first of all acknowledge that this is a, uh, although there have been um, economic mistakes at home, this is fundamentally a price shock that is common to many countries. Number two, therefore say, right, we need to protect people's living standards as this price shock moves through um, the system. So that support of energy bills that's much more targeted than what we already have. It's much more protection in terms of public service investment, um, investment in our income safety net. And then number three to say, mm -hmm. we need to make sure that all of that support for families doesn't add to inflation further and set out the tax rises that would offset that. And if you were to go down that route of um, you know, acknowledging uh, the real world, putting in place the support and raising taxes on who, those who can afford it to prevent the situation getting worse, you can come through the situation and come out of it stronger, certainly stronger than what the government is currently, uh, the path government has set us on. Max, when you look at a decade of, uh, of missteps uh, which, which, which have left the public services close to a breaking point, now you have two key sectors here, education and uh, healthcare. If this is going to go for quite some time, is it bad news for all everybody in the UK? I think if you look at cuts to the NHS, then it is absolutely. I mean, the vast majority of British people use the National Health Service. You know, private health care is only used by the very, very rich in this country. And that is very different to many of the other countries where Oxfam works, where you know, universal health coverage is only the privilege of the rich. So a massive cuts in real, in real terms to what the NHS can do off the back of the heroic steps they took during COVID, it does impact absolutely everybody in the country. And that's another reason why it's a political, uh, politically dynamite. I do think that um, it is good news for the opposition that the, the, the Conservative Party, uh, their the record on economic management has taken such a beating. But I also think that the Labour Party, I agree with the previous speaker, it needs to be much clearer about what they're going to do. And I think in particular, they need to be very specific about how they're going to increase taxation on the very, very wealthy. Let's hear them call for a wealth tax, for instance. We've seen some very good, solid research showing that a wealth tax on the top 1% could raise another 10 billion. Let's be brave about taxing the super rich. We know from polling that that is enormously popular across the political spectrum. So there are things that I think Labour could be doing to, to take the initiative further and show that they, there is an alternative to austerity. There is an alternative to the cuts that are hurting the poorest all over the country. Patrick, what happens when it comes to the very issue of taxes? They say that they would like to cut taxes because they see it as one of the key components of their own strategy. I'm talking about the Tories. But the power base itself, which has always been sceptical of this very notion of uh, cutting uh, taxes, is it something that could erode the trust that the Tories has been having most of the time with, with its power base? Yeah, I mean, it's important, I think, just to reflect on the, the wild oscillations in fiscal policy that the UK has recently been going through. I think it's been pointed out that Kwasi Kwateng's mini-budget um, was the largest tax-cutting budget for 50 years, but the package that Jeremy Hunt has announced today is the largest tax-rising um, budget statement by government in 30 years. So in the space of a few months, um, UK fiscal policy has kind of dramatically changed direction. Um, I think for the Conservatives, the real problem is that in successive elections, um, their main claim to economic competence has been based around 
their apparent commitment to generally low taxes. And of course, what we've seen in this package today is really the end of the road for that strategy because taxes have mm -hmm. risen and will continue to rise. And many middle income groups will be caught in this kind of pincer movement. And that's bound to affect um, the electoral popularity of the Conservatives, particularly in marginal seats that are populated by a higher proportion of these kinds of middle income earners. They're going to be hit really hard by the measures that Jeremy Hunt has announced today. Alfie, if you don't mind, in less than 30 seconds, if you look at all the metrics now, London losing position as the most valuable European stock market, weak pound, fears of recession and inflation at, the, at its highest in more than 41 years. Where does it leave the UK? Um, it leaves us um, exposed, but actually those are all symptoms um, of the problem, not the problem itself. And the, and the problem that underlies those symptoms is uh, the wrong decisions at the wrong time by our politicians in government and our central bank. Patrick Diamond, Alfie Sterling, Max Lawson, I really appreciate your insight. Looking forward to talking to you in the near future. That's it for the Inside Story podcast. This episode was produced by Calvin Nihad Al-Abidi, Gabriela Faber and Jima Harris. Studio Sound was by Deepak Pushkaran. The program was edited by Venish Palilath, Lynn Gwynn and Jody Frias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again on Friday.